Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, some U.S. cities offer e-bike incentives. Might this be a good program for Atlanta? In just a moment, a little bit later, Councilmember Matt Westmoreland talks about the need for Atlanta to start its own e-bike rebate program. Also, Drawdown Georgia is awarding a million dollars in funding. Now, the money will be shared among organizations focusing on climate issues that prioritize equity. And then a little bit later. From the origins of their debut, Protect Your Neck, to hip-hop legends, yes, the Wu-Tang Clan is telling their journey in a limited edition, and I do mean very limited edition book, limited to much that it's only going to sell 36 copies, and I do not have one, so all that's just ahead. Coming up, but first this. Very serious. All is well at Midtown High School here in Atlanta. That's after officials with APS tell Closer Look a bomb threat was called in around 9 a.m. this morning. Now, a statement from the school district cites, quote, out of an abundance of caution, the building was evacuated. All students and staff have relocated to a safe location. Atlanta Public Schools police and canine units from several law enforcement partner organizations. They conducted a thorough search and sweep of the building and campus. Parents were encouraged to refrain from coming to the school as this week's early dismissal schedule remains in effect. Again, all students and staff are safe. Again, according to APS, a thorough search was conducted. In other news, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger is calling on the state legislature to end general election runoffs. As you know, Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock beat Republican Herschel Walker in a runoff, the same outcome as November. WABE Sam Greenglass has more. In Georgia, winning candidates have to top 50 percent to avoid a runoff. It's one of only two states with general election runoffs. The recent U.S. Senate elections have cost millions, stretched campaign season into the holidays, and stressed election officials. The system was initially designed to weaken the power of black voters. The legislature could eliminate the 50 percent threshold or lower it. They could also adopt ranked choice voting. One bill has already been pre-filed to make the runoff six weeks instead of four. That would allow more time for early voting. Sam Greenglass, WABE News. And finally, a story about giving. The holidays can be a lonely time for kids in foster care. But there's a local organization trying to make the holidays brighter for many of those kids, as we hear from Martha Dalton. A giant crate rolls into an East Point warehouse on a dolly. It's packed with gifts that about a dozen volunteers quickly unload. Bikes, dolls, books, scooters, all for children in Georgia's foster care system. It's a process. Daryl Hooker is the chief operating officer of St. Vincent de Paul, the nonprofit organizing this massive effort. Children in foster care come up with a wish list of gifts, which they give to their caseworkers. That list gets funneled up through the Department of Family and Children's Services over to us at St. Vincent de Paul. We migrate that back down to another list and say, hey, Walmart, this is what we need. We fill those lists. We bag those toys up. So we take that wish list, put three toys, in, uh, at least three toys in each bag. Then the caseworkers come pick up the toys and distribute them to the kids. They're able to provide presents for about 70% of Georgia kids in foster homes. The holiday season is a very, very difficult time for children foster care. Dr. John DeGarmo is a foster care expert. He and his wife have also fostered more than 60 children over the years. Christmas Day, a child's going to wake up into a foster care home and recognize I'm not with my family. These are strangers to me. 
Despite all the abuse and neglect the child may have experienced, many times they want to go back home because that's their norm. DeGarmo says kids end up in foster homes for various reasons, abuse, homelessness, an incarcerated parent. A recent AJC investigation raised questions about Georgia's foster care system, citing disorder and high staff turnover as possible barriers to helping kids in crises. Meanwhile, volunteers like Greg Silva are doing what they can to make the holidays a little happier for those children. It gives you a really great feeling helping other people, and uh, you're giving back to Atlanta. The whole state, actually. The gifts will go to kids in all of Georgia's 159 counties. Martha Dalton. WABE News. And a great program there, helping so many kids. Coming up next, a focus on climate initiatives centered around equity. This is Closer Look. We're back in a moment. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at CF. GreaterAtlanta.org. And Closer Look continues from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. It's not easy, we know, when we talk about climate solutions. We all know what the problems are, right? But climate solutions. But there is an effort to prioritize equity. We talk about it here in Georgia, and it's coming in the form of a grant. Now, five Georgia-based family foundations recently established the Drawdown Georgia Climate Solutions and Equity Grants. And what that means now is there are five two-year grants of $100,000 per year that are going to be awarded to some organizations we're about to talk about in a moment. So joining me now to talk more about this is Blair Beasley, the Director of Climate Strategies at the Ray C. Anderson Foundation. In her role, she works to support Drawdown Georgia. And also Layla Perletcher, the Executive Director of the Lawrenceville Housing Authority and CEO of the Gwinnett Housing Corporation, who joins me as well. We've had a lot of conversations about housing affordability on this program as well. Thank you both for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. It's good to be here. Thank you, Rose. Blair, let me start with you because when we talk about climate, as I mentioned, when we talk about climate solutions, depending on whom you ask, you'll get a lot of different answers. But when it comes to equity, I think for some folks, they may have a difference of opinion in terms of that intersection of climate issues and equity. How do you see that? How do you define that? Sure. So we are really focused on climate solutions through the work of Drawdown Georgia, which is a statewide research-based initiative working with partners across the state to scale climate solutions. Um, And Drawdown Georgia highlights the real benefits that all Georgians can reap when we grow climate solutions in the state. So for example, there are public health benefits that come from reducing pollution that's emitted when we burn gasoline to power our cars or burn coal to make electricity or there are economic development benefits. You know, there are lots of jobs associated with the transition to clean energy. I think people across Georgia are seeing this firsthand as new electric vehicles and battery companies are investing in Georgia. Mm-hmm. So it's really critical that you know all Georgians have access to these environmental, economic, and health benefits. And this includes low-income communities and people who are Black, Indigenous, and people of color. These communities often experience worst and first the Mm -hmm. impacts of a changing climate. And so it's really important that these communities also are able to reap the benefits of pursuing climate solutions. And the grant was created with that in mind. Well, I'm going to get to Layla in a moment, but I want to stay with the grant for a moment. So with these grants, you all wanted to award fund organizations that had a focus or at the core of their work was the focus of what you just talked about in terms of equity and climate issues? That's right. So this is a new funding opportunity that was launched by five um, Georgia-based family foundations. And the goal of the grant is to provide funding to support climate solutions that prioritize equity in the state, specifically funding work in low-income communities that are home to Black, Indigenous, and people of color across Georgia. And so in total, the funding partners awarded a million dollars over two years to five grant recipients. And these grantees are now funded for projects that will take place in 2023 and 2024. 
And they have some exciting plans that will both reduce the greenhouse gas emissions that are fueling climate change, as well as support other community priorities. So this includes work on climate solutions like composting, mm -hmm. climate smart agriculture, energy efficiency improvements, food waste reduction, as well as large scale and rooftop solar. And one of the organizations is the Gwinnett Housing Corporation and, and has a focus also with the Lawrenceville Housing Authority. And Layla, you work with all of that. How will you all use this funding? Good afternoon, Rose. Um, let me just go back a little bit to explain like what the problem is that we were saying um, mm -hmm. in Gwinnett County. I think COVID showed to us that resources don't, even though there's plenty of resources, they don't necessarily trickle down to those um, households who will need it the most. We are a nonprofit affordable housing development organization, and we do realize that affordability is not just the cost of the mortgage or the rent. Um, uh, the affordability is also influenced by the rising energy costs mm -hmm. associated with the climate change. Um, so one of the districts that we focused on is um, uh, House District 98. That is the most diverse district in Gwinnett County. And unfortunately, it is also most under-resourced. Um, when we did an initial assessment, we realized that, you know, 5,000 uh, households in that district are um, have a high or extremely high energy burden. And that district is comprised of 87% BIPOC uh, population, mm. and half of them um, identify as immigrants. So we wanted to make sure that these resources in terms of um, energy efficiency do trickle down to this community. Um, and that's why we put a team together um, with several uh, other organizations um, under the leadership of State Representative Marvin Lim, whose district we're working in, um, to create, um, to really to expand access to healthy and affordable housing for these vulnerable communities. But we also wanted to take that opportunity to build up minority business pipeline through um, these energy efficiency investments. So I think we have this unique opportunity in this historic era of funding for climate change and energy um, to address some of these longstanding disparities, not just energy insecurity and inefficiency, but also access to federal funding by BIPOC mm -hmm. contractors. Blair, for the organizations that were all, the, the other organizations that were also awarded funding, there's Truly Living Well Center for National Urban Agriculture. We all are familiar with that great program, Georgia Organics, uh, and the Georgia Conservation Voters Education Fund. That was curious to me too, as well, because someone listening may say, "Wow, you're making this connection with a voters education fund and and conservation." Yeah. So. We, um, one of the five grantees was the Georgia Conservation Voters Education Fund, um, and they are proposing to use the grant to support their statewide EMC organizing campaign. So this is a project working to advance sustain sustainability and drive a transition to clean energy production among Georgia's 41 member-owned electric membership corporations. So this is communities that are not so served by Georgia Power, but by EMCs. For folks that are listening that want to know how you all were able to to determine which of these organizations, I mean, because you you mentioned equity being at the the, the core of this, uh, was it a, a challenge in trying to, to sift through all the applications, or did you pick them? I mean, how did this this process work? Yeah, that's a great question. I'll say we were um, really humbled by the response that we got. This was the inaugural year, so the first year that we put out this grant, and we've received almost 100 applications mm. um, from organizations all across Georgia um, who are working in this space. Um, and so we worked um, collaboratively to kind of sift through these many, many good ideas. Obviously, if there were um, was more money available, there was many more fundable ideas. Mm -hmm. um, all five of the foundations helped to select the grantees. We also invited um, a panel of five outside experts to contribute um, their expertise um, and thoughts to the process. And Layla, as we begin to wrap up, what do you want folks to know about what you, the work you all are doing? And also, how do you gauge the, the effectiveness of it? Well, for us, we are going to gauge the effectiveness by first some measurable outcomes in the interim, but we really want to integrate um, you know, energy efficiency planning into all of our affordable housing developments in the future, because um, vast, almost vast majority of the homeowners that we serve through our homeownership program, 90% of them are BIPOC clients. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that their uh, homes are, you know, sustainable um, in the near future as well. 
And Layla, one other question I want to get in there to you, because, of course, we've been talking about the housing issues in, in the Atlanta area. But you also know in Gwinnett, how would you assess how you all are trying to tackle affordable housing in Gwinnett? I think there's definitely uh, more emphasis by the county leaders and municipal leaders right now. Um, it is the the situation is not good, really. Um, it's uh, I think everybody has now a sense of urgency. We're really truly seeing housing insecurity facing you know typical even middle class families now. So this is mm-hmm. not an issue of just you know high poverty households. Mm-hmm. Um, it's affecting the working class as well. Uh, Layla Perlecha, the executive director of the Lawrenceville Housing Authority and CEO of the Gwinnett Housing Corporation, and also Blair Beasley, the director of climate strategies at the Ray C. Anderson Foundation, who also works to support Drawdown Georgia. Drawdown Georgia, thank you for what you all are doing to help so many organizations. And Layla, as always, thank you for what you all are doing to help keep people in affordable housing areas so they can stay in their homes. Thank you so much. Thanks. It was great talking with you. Same here. Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Several U.S. cities either have or will soon offer electric bike incentive programs. Now, Vermont, I believe, is the first in the nation that actually has a statewide incentive program. Denver has an e-bike rebate program, and New York could soon have its own e-bike rebate program. Y'all know how I feel about e-bikes. I love them. So is this a good fit for Atlanta? Well, let's talk about it with City Council Member Matt Westmoreland. Welcome. Happy New Year. Good afternoon. Uh, happy New Year, you too. It's good to be back. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Do you have an e-bike? Because I, I have never seen you scooting or biking anywhere. I see all the folks. Uh, uh, well, I got someone saw me on a scooter once in um, in the street, but not wearing a helmet and tagged me on Twitter and it got retweeted several times. So I'll be sure to, to shoot you a link to that. Um, I don't personally own an e-bike. My partner does. Um, and so I have ridden one several times and um, actually wrote it down to the opening of the Cherokee Avenue um, protected bike lane a couple weeks ago. Um, and that was actually probably the genesis for part of this idea, this mm-hmm. and seeing a bunch of other um, cities across the country that are taking similar actions. And I think this could be a good step for Atlanta. Yeah. And, and it's some of the cities that I, I mentioned, did you look at some of their e-bike pro- rebate programs to see what could be a good fit here before you all are going to start talking about yeah, no, for sure. Um, Denver was probably one of the first ones to come out of the gate. And in fact, their program has been so um, well received that they've they've expended the first bucket of money that they've mm-hmm. set aside for the project. I think it kind of speaks to um, how enticing and, and excited people are about this opportunity. Boston is doing something similar as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the the whole premise, the, the legislation that came out of committee yesterday actually will set up a study group that'll mm-hmm. take several weeks in the new year, um, you know, with the folks who lead our sustainability office. We're going to have representatives from Propel Atlanta, the old Atlanta Bicycle Coalition, mm-hmm. um, for Southern Equity, Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta, and to take a look at if we set this up or when we set this up, um, what should the rebate about be? Both of the cities that we've talked about have a bucket for um, instant rebates for residents, but then also a specific amount of money set aside for income qualifying residents. Um, And and that's really important to me. And council member, when you talk about this feasibility study, because obviously I think we don't need a study to know that a lot of people ride bikes here in the Atlanta area um, and e-bikes, but are you also looking at, okay, how, where do we begin? Because some folks say, well, I've had an e-bike for 20 years. And some will say, well, I'm about to buy an e-bike. I mean, there's a whole lot of, you know, criteria and assessment that has to happen. So where do you all begin? Sure. I begin with problems that we're trying to solve. And so I look at this, I look at Atlanta as a city in a metro area with increasing transportation costs. um, And all of us are facing the effects of climate change. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this is a way um, if you look at the the rise and the increase in usage in e-bikes across the country, it's a way to get folks out of their cars. And it Mm -hmm. provides fast, efficient, personal, climate friendly transportation. 
Um, you've got to do that at the same time that you're adding bike lanes, especially protected bike lanes around the city. But if there's a way for us to incentivize our residents um, to get out of their car, to, to use a bicycle more often, mm-hmm. um, and then recognizing that e-bikes are expensive, um, yeah. that's why what speaks the most to me when I look at cities like Denver and Boston is the rebates that they set aside for income qualifying residents, and we need to figure out what that is, right? We talk a lot about the region median income and and, you know, is it that if you make a certain amount of money, we're going to give you a $1,500 rebate or a $1,700 rebate um, to help cover the vast majority of the cost because we don't want cost to be a burden. And if there's a way um, that we can help Atlanta residents who spend an average of $11,000 a year on transportation costs, yeah. um, when, you, when you add that with housing, it's they're, they're connected um, and it's part of what is making Atlanta an increasingly unaffordable place to live. And so if we can incentivize folks to not drive a car and to lower their transportation costs, that reduces burdens on a lot of different levels. And it's good for the planet. And it really feels like a win-win. The amount of money, council member, that you will need is obviously going to be, even if you start up, it's probably going to be in the millions, correct? And would this be federal funding that you're trying to get? Do you all have some money? Do you have any money left over from the American Rescue Plan? Or let's talk about the funding here. Absolutely. Um, so if you look at, at cities that have already begun implementing this, you know, Denver set aside $3 million um, and has actually already exhausted that initial bucket due to how popular the program is. Mm-hmm. Boston has set aside $1.5 million. Both of those cities are larger than Atlanta. Um, but I think that's part of what this group will be talking about in January and February is, you know, how much do we initially want to set aside? We'll see when we launch the program what kind of response there is. Um, and it may very well be the fact that it's going to take more than than we initially thought. Um, Boston is using some American Rescue Plan dollars, um, and I think that's a natural place for us to start. Um, we've got some additional dollars that are in our bank account. Um, revenues are higher than we thought they were going to be, and so we haven't had to plug as many budget holes. And mm-hmm. so I think that's a perfect place to look at an initial allocation um, and then figure out how we can um, make it eligible to residents in a way that is equitable Um, and targeted at residents um, in certain income-qualifying areas. And would this come under the Atlanta's Department of Transportation? They would be the ones that would oversee this. That's right. So that that the commissioner for the Department of Transportation, the chair of of our transportation committee, are both going to be part of this working group. Um, My hope, it's a little arbitrary, but Earth Day um, is obviously in April. Um, and so I'm hoping that we can um, move quickly at the beginning of the new year and, and get this program, get the mechanics of it figured out um, and then launch it sometime in the spring. But the Department of Transportation will definitely be helping run point. Are there any other challenges that you might think that you all think might you, you might encounter with this if you want to get it launched next year? You know, I um no obstacle that can't be overcome. Um, it's always helpful to watch other cities and learn from them what went well, what surprises or struggles did they face. Um, and I'm fully confident um, that once we figure out the specifics that we've kind of talked about, right, how, mm-hmm. how big should the rates be, um, we can stand up um, a framework that will allow us to to see what the interest is of our residents and to move forward. And I'm excited to learn mm-hmm. um, and to and maybe that can help inform a phase two of this. What do you say to someone that says, listen, you know, that sounds great having an e-bike rebate program, but let's be really clear, too, can this succeed? Because Atlanta's biking infrastructure <laughs> needs to <laughs> need some fixing, you know? Yeah. Yep. No, that this is definitely a multi-pronged conversation. Um, you know, last May voters in this city overwhelmingly approved a $750 million infrastructure referendum. Um, it is the largest investment we've ever made in um, our public safety facilities, police precincts and fire stations, a lot of money for parks and rec centers and green space. And then the largest bucket is for transportation. Um, and if you look at that list, there are tens and tens of millions of dollars dedicated towards safe streets. Um, it's not enough to, to be where we need to be. And we've learned a lot of lessons over the last several years about promises made and not yet kept. And I'm yeah, very sensitive. Yeah, but, you know, council member, with all due respect, yeah, yeah. There are a lot of projects that are more than a decade behind. I'm thinking of the yep. 
the Juniper, the and, Pe- yeah, the Juniper yep. and Piedmont, Complete Streets. I mean, yep. y'all ain't broke ground on that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you feel me? <laughs> I totally feel you. And yeah. every constituent who reaches out and says the same thing. I don't think that's a reason to not do something innovative like this. I think that's a reason to push harder to make progress on both, which I, which is literally happening as we speak. But if you want people to utilize bikes more, I look, I love biking. I've said it before. You got to make it safe. Right. I, I, I will not get on any Atlanta street on my bike. I'm just keeping yep. it real. I will do paths, parks, the Beltline, um, yep. because the infrastructure is not there. And then for my friends who live in certain neighborhoods, they have bikes you know, they go to the train station, they take their bikes to other areas, but they're like, we would love to ride our bikes in our neighborhood. So you want me to partic- you know, partake in, in keeping, and it, and it helps the environment, obviously, and it helps keep congestion down, but I got to be safe on my bike, and I got to feel safe on my bike. I completely agree. Um, and anyone who wants to take advantage of this program is entitled to do it. We're certainly not going to require or mandate anybody um, enter to, to get a rebate, but you and I have both talked about today mm-hmm. how there is real interest in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, if, and if people want to get out of their car and want to bike more, but haven't bought an e-bike because the cost is prohibitive, this is a way for us to, to make an investment in those residents. Um, while at the same time doing things like what we just did two mm-hmm. weeks ago, which would open a new protected bike line, um, that runs the entire length of Cherokee Avenue by Zoo Atlanta and Grant Park. Um, there are, we got to be moving faster and we got to be doing more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they, they can and should and will move together. Um, and I'm optimistic and confident we can do that. I have a question from a listener who says, hi, Rose, will they put more money into maintenance and education? A lot of people don't know the rules and many of the bike lanes are not the greatest to ride on. We've kind of talked about that. But do you think there is uh, some room for and maybe you all can partner with organizations because there are a lot of them here in the Atlanta area to focus more on on maintenance and just and bike education? Because I think there is there is some some knowledge there for people to learn. Yeah, no, two two conversations, one past, one present that I'll share. One is I have an old colleague, she's retired now, Carla Smith, who introduced legislation during my first term here um, around fining folks who park in bike lanes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so step one of that is to have the law on the books. And then step two is enforcement. And I'm often tagged on social media um, when people see someone illegally parked in a bike lane. Um, and so in, improving and increasing the... Um, the enforcement of that is a key piece of, of um, gently nudging people to engage in good behavior on mm-hmm. that front. Um, but then second, you know, as we talk about development projects that are happening around the city um, or projects that are already, um, you know, there's, there are some repaving of downtown streets that's happening right now mm-hmm. that will include that will include new bicycle infrastructure. Um, and so how do we that's what Jason Dozier and I talk about my council colleague from from district four is as we you know every time we're looking at a road project in atlanta how do we encourage and or mandate um protected bicycle infrastructure um and that's that is a conversation that is not going away and will be happening more and more in the years ahead with the other cities the other programs that you all looked at or that that you're familiar with were there any other provisions or any other projects within that ebate beyond just issuing someone a, a refund or some money that you all like. Yeah, the rebate. Yeah. Yep. No, exactly. So it's, it's a question of, you know, what size should the rebate be, whether it's the one that any resident can get or one that, that you have to have a certain income to qualify for. Um, you know, the retailers or the participants, you know, what mm-hmm. are the requirements for a resident? Sure. Is something we need to figure out. Who does the rebate, you know, who is eligible to receive the rebate? Who's actually selling the bike? Those are all um, good questions. They are questions that, other cities have answered, you know, in Denver, you get a $1,200 rebate if you're income eligible. In mm. Boston, it's $1,500. And so that's for us and our team to figure out over the next couple of weeks and to continue looking. You know, you mentioned Vermont, Colorado, mm-hmm. California, Oregon, New York are all looking at doing statewide programs like this. Uh, and I'm excited that Atlanta is on that list of entities that are attempting to be innovative um, as it relates to thinking about the future of transportation. I have a listener says you've all you all have repaved a few downtown and the temporary lanes at least don't have bike lanes central and prior. But I tell you, you talk about bikes in this city, Councilmember Westmoreland, you know, people going 
people are yep. listening. Hold it. Well, they go hold us accountable. That's literally what they're supposed to do. Um, so I will, I will write that down and make a note of that um, and make sure that we will continue to do better every time we embark on a new project because that's literally why we're here. All right. So now you're going to get an e-bike. I'm getting an e-bike. Right, well, when are we going go, shopping? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down. You, you name the time and the place, and I'll be there in the spring. Is the city going to buy my bike? Buy the bike I, for me? I was gonna, right. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll shoot you the link for the instant rebate as soon as it goes live. <laughs> Atlanta Councilmember Matt Westmoreland, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Keep us posted on these uh, e-bike rebates. That would be awesome. I will. It's good to see you, Russ. All right. Same here. Socrates, philosophies, and hypotheses Can't define how I be dropping these mockeries Lyrically perform armed robbery Flee with the lottery Possibly they spotted me Battles guard, showgun Explosion when my pen hits Tremendous Ultraviolet shine blind forensics I inspect you And closer look from WABE In Atlanta continues I'm Rose Scott You know, if you don't know the story Of Wu-Tang Clan I'm sorry, I don't have enough time to tell you Because it is an incredible one and if you don't, then uh, hang on, because you'll hear a little bit more. But also, I want to encourage you to check out Wu-Tang and American Saga, the Hulu streaming series. It's going to set to premiere its third and final season next year, February 15th. I'm telling you all, it is incredible. I love it. And, of course, now, don't just ask me to tell you what it's about. I need you to check it out. Also, there's this, the Wu-Tang Clan legacy. Now, I'm a little upset, and I'm going to get on John about this. Because they only given out 36 copies, but we're going to work through that. It's a 300-plus page coffee table. Look, only 36 copies of the Legacy will be sold. We'll get into all that. You'll understand why if you are a true fan. Let's get to it because we never have enough time. Joining me now, I got my folks on here. I got Mathematics. I got John Mook Williams, longtime CEO of Wu-Tang Management. Capadonna is going to join us. Inspector Deck, I believe, is going to join us. So when I shout out your name, we're just going to talk. Welcome, fellas. I appreciate it. Peace. Welcome. Thank you. Peace. I'm going to start with you, Capadonna. Can, can you use one word? Man, can you use one word to describe this journey from 1993 and even before when y'all were trying to get this together to now? Because as I told a friend of mine this morning, Wu-Tan is more than just, it's more than just a group. It's a movement. How do you describe this journey y'all been on? I describe this journey, you know, as 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 a walk through history. You know, um, it's it's the it's the renewal of of you know the new birth. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying, like we we, I, I look at it like a, as a venture. It's 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 like the the adventures of Wu Tang. Yeah. You know what I mean? The the way you know the way we came together and formulated this energy, you know, um, I mean, it's, 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 it's an unmatched presence, you know, of, of, of brotherhood and mm-hmm. prophecy and legacy, you know, and sportsmanship, mm-hmm. you know, all, all tied together for the edification of unification. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's, that was our main source that you know being unified would result in prosperity you know what i'm saying the power of coming together that that was the main message you know we rode together as one i call my brother son because he sound like one yeah you know what i'm saying so and and anything that we doing you know together that's the energy and that's the force that it takes to establish a journey. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because journey journeys is, 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 is stems from direction. Once we came together, you know, with one common cause, then we knew that our direction was to go forth and to activate the things that we created to create processes, you know what I'm saying? So that 
we could build a, a, a nation and a foundation because the, the, the culture of hip hop is a nation. Gotcha. For real. You know what I'm saying? It was started by Zulu Nation. Absolutely. African Bambata. Let me let me get mathematics in here. He talked about, Cap talked about, listen, energy, direction. You see that too? This journey y'all been on? Yeah, yeah, I see that because it's a journey as well as, like he says, an adventure. Because it's like we started this off, like, like each one of us, I'm pretty sure we all started off as a hobby. You know, it was just fun. So then when it was like when, when brothers actually got on and was able to do what we do, it, it was just like, wow, we actually, as time keep going, it's like, yo, we actually living off of this. So it's like, yo, we actually putting our kids through school through this. So we actually, you know, so we're here now. But it's like we went through a lot to get here. Mm -hmm. You know, it's ups and downs. It's good and bad. But it's always been a brotherhood. So if you look at the, the crew, it's so many of us. But at the same time, it's like it's one group that you heard from the outside. You hear outside chatter. But we never broke up. We never heard you know, you have two men group and three men group that broke up, but we stayed together. So it's, it's, it's definitely a journey and it's worth celebrating. So uh, I'm glad, you know, what's going on is happening. John, let me bring you to conversation because you've been there from the beginning. So obviously, you know, you, you've seen your brothers grow up, right? How do you Absolutely. describe this journey? Man, this journey is fantastic. It's a mystery. It's exciting. It's, I mean, so many different meanings to this journey, yeah. but the number one meaning is that, like Cap just said, we stay together as a unit. We're one. You know, we roll as one. And uh, it, we, we just like any other family, though. You know, families, you got siblings, you fight. Yeah. If it ain't a physical fight, it's a verbal fight. <laughs> you know, it, it happens. But, you know, after the fight, we, we get together and say, okay, you know, let's finish our hand our business. Fight is over. You know, let's move on. And, and John, John, let me stay with you for a moment. I'm going to let uh, Cap and, and Mathematics get on this too because what's also been key for you all is to control all these years, your branding, your image, controlling this movement, controlling, controlling your commodity. And a lot of artists, as you all know from your era, haven't been able to do that. That's John. That's how important has that been for you all? Well, that was that was you know control was our key focus at the beginning thirty years ago. You know, we 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 decided that we needed to keep control, and it was based on the experience that you know our founder had, Rizzo. Mm -hmm. You know, the experience that he had in his previous deal, the experience that Jizza had in his previous deal, that required us to make sure we keep control of our projects. Otherwise, this deal, this movement could have ended up the same way Jizza and Rizza previous mm -hmm. deals ended up. You know, so absolutely. Let's talk about this, the Wu-Tang Clan legacy. This idea, now I have some friends who are like, man, but what about the culture? What about the tribe? How come we don't get in on this deal? I've had some folks say that. But how did all this come together in terms of, and this is and this is more than just a 300-plus page book folks need to know. This is a, an investment into a complete art structure, okay? Absolutely. Absolutely. What, one of yeah. you, either one of y'all can tackle that. Well, I, I you know, it, it came along, you know, I had a conversation with Rizzo quite a while ago. And we was talking about making our imprint stronger than it is now. What we could do to solidify our beings, our being here as arguably the number one rap group of all times, hip hop group of all times. You know, I, I say it and I live by it and I ain't biting my tongue. And I know they'll yeah. send me the emails. That's okay. Cause I, you know what? I ain't arguing with nobody, but I look y'all up there for me. So that's what's up. Yes. 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 So, you know, and we, we, I was thinking, I said, so, well, we need to put an imprint that's not going nowhere. Mm -hmm. Something that can be here even when we're gone. Even when our children are gone, our grandkids are gone, hundreds, thousands of years from now, 
what could we do to say that Wu-Tang was here and it's strongest and biggest and most powerful rap group of all times? So we said to myself, I said, um, we need to build something. We need to identify it with a book, but we need to build something that's going to stand the test of times. Mm-hmm. Something that it ain't going to move, something that's not going to dissolve, it's not going to melt away. So we decided to come up with this chamber. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm running around and thinking how, what, when, and where. And um, it's funny, I ran into these dudes from London. And these guys in London, before they was a part of us, they was just straight up fans. You know, they was just straight up fans. And it was one of them was a photographer. And they, they had the same thoughts that Wu-Tang need to make a solid bone here, a solid something really solid that's tangible that, Mm -hmm. you know, that's going to stand the test of times. So um, when I hooked up with them, you know, we was talking, we we was trying to figure it out. So in the midst of figuring it out, we had them, you still there? Yeah, I'm listening. Okay, we had them go come with us on tour. I brought these cats on tour with us and then we just started off taking pictures. And... This this tour, this was started in, in 2019. We started taking pictures for the tour, and um, I had them around me ever since. And and the dude from London, the photographer, had a friend that's a sculpture. Mm-hmm. So he brought him in, and the sculpture, uh, his name is uh, Geffen. He decided he came to me and said, "Move, I got some ideas." Tell me what's your idea. So I shared my ideas with him on on what could what could we build, you know. And um, I said I just need something that's going to represent what we do, and something big, strong, shows strength. It, it shows it shows security. And um, like two weeks later, he, he showed me some pictures. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I've seen whoa. these. Yeah, I'm like, whoa. Yo, Jeffy, this is it, right? I mean, it was a little, it was some things with it. And I said, you know, you got to make some adjustments. But he was right on track. You know, he's right on track. So we started adding to it, making adjustments to it. And this is what we came up with. So I want folks to, to, to envision this. We're talking about, and I'm reading this from what y'all sent me. It's a 36 bronze encrusted 400 pound black steel chambers. Absolutely. Cap, yes. when you saw this, man, what went through your mind? I was like, wow, that's glorious right there. You know what I mean? I was, it was, it, it's everything that I hoped for, you know what I mean? And and the legacy of Wu, you know, to, to have people to be able to go into, you know, a, a, a chamber and script, encrypted book, you know what I mean? Yeah. And to be able to enter into the legacy of Wu and the, and, the, and the foundation and to understand the history and demographics of what made us and, and you know, how was, we was created and, you know, all the fundamentals of who we are and how we came up, you know what I'm saying? Gives a, a, the people a direct look into, you know, like I said, again, the new history mm-hmm. that we created, with, which solidifies our foundation and legacy, you know what I mean? We got we got street corners and I mean we we got books and clothing lines and albums and records and so much material, you know what I mean? And um you know that right there is is what's gonna stand the test of time. Like wow. like Mook said, you know, that's the solid gold footprint that they be looking for when they go back into the history to find out if Bigfoot was real or not. Absolutely. And there's nothing like this. I want to shift for a moment because I don't need to tell y'all the influence you've had, obviously, on hip-hop and music. But did y'all know that here in Atlanta, over at Georgia Tech, there is a professor that teaches hip-hop culture. Um, she's joined, She joins us now on the line. She wants to just shout you all out and talk about this class her name is Dr. Jocelyn Wilson, and she's with me. Professor, you with me? I'm here. Can you hear me? We got you. Tell tell, tell these <laughs> fellas about this class that you teach that incorporates Wu-Tang Clan. 
So yeah, I teach a course on the hip hop aesthetic and um, I, t I teach a course on just the history of hip hop, but I also use that data, particularly lyrics to help students understand design thinking and computational media. And I use you all's lyrics to create these innovative educational moments where students can apply methodologies um, that are pulled from not only lyrics, but also from mathematics and a host of ways of, in which we think about creating art and archiving art. And so I just wanna say thank you for the contribution. Um, thank you for getting me through college. I am gonna brag a little bit. I was bragging to Rose about this. I think I have one of the most vast collections of woo materials. <laughs> I have every last one of you all's albums. I have Supreme clientele on vinyl still in the plastic. Um, I am a woo head. And so I integrate the music and not only that, but the ideas into instruction. And I think that as we move into, you know, celebrating 50 years, um, and think about, you know, what it's going to be like when we're not here. It's going to be important that this is integrated in higher education. Yeah. And I'm just glad to be chosen to be one of the people to help design that. So thank you for you all's contribution. And Professor Wilson, thank you so much for that. I wanted to give her. Cap, when you hear that, when, when you hear that your lyrics and, and yeah, when she described, yeah, when you hear that, if someone had told you this 30 years ago, your lyrics would be used in college courses decades down the road. I mean, I'm, the, uh, the things that have uh, happened in music for, for me and my colleagues, you know, since the beginning has already reached far beyond my expectation. Um, I'm, I'm just so grateful to be, you know, a stronghold in the epidemic of hip hop and to be able to, you know, still be an asset to the collective. I'm, I'm, I'm honored. I'm honored by, you know, Miss Wilson's um, attribute to, you know, our hip hop collection, man. I'm, you know, speechless on that, 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 you know, there will even be a program where people could be educated on the things that we do along with the utensils that we already provided, you know what I mean? And and that's what, you know, we, we all about. We all about education and mm -hmm. forwarding, you know, our and devious through, through the music, you know what I mean? And, and teaching brothers and sisters, mainly the children, to, you know, activate some of these stimulants into their life, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that they can accomplish the same success you know, that, that we do. And that, that's our, that's our message to, to the children. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. As we begin to wrap up, I want to bring mathematics back in here. And math, I was, uh, we were talking to a Georgia tech professor who talks about using you all's lyrics and education. And when we started this conversation, I asked you to reflect on the journey. When you think about what they will say about Wu-Tang Clan, this is for you too, John. When you think about what folks will say about Wu-Tang Clan 50 years from now, mathematics, what do you hope, what is your hope is that they say? I don't know if you concern yourself with your legacy. It's already cemented. But what do you hope they say? Uh, I hope that they would say that Wu-Tang is the greatest group ever. <laughs> Hip-hop, whatever. You know, whatever genre. The greatest group ever, the greatest to ever do it. You know, um... Yeah, that's what I would hope they would say. And, you know, a little bit more than that, you know what I mean? Because we definitely, you know, about the babies at the at the end of the day because that's the future. So so it's like you want to, everybody want to leave some type, something for their seeds, whether it's generational wealth or whether it's, it's jewels and how to get by and live life the best way possible. So um, I, I hope all that is reflected. And, um, yeah, Mook did a great job with the legacy book, you know what I mean? Cause, yeah. cause that that right there in a nutshell is like, you know, I'm not sure if I could talk about what's in it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not gonna do that, but what's in it, I'm sure everybody would love to, you know, just to see it get their hands on for real. And so Mook, as as we wrap up and I'm going over time, but you know, it's my show. It's all right. 
Um, is is there any opportunity that there could be a smaller scale down version for for your woo heads or for folks like me? I don't need a big four hundred well, pound chamber. Two pound. Well, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the future is always full of surprises. So we will have to see what happens, you know. But for the most part, right now, these thirty six artifacts from the innovators of Wu-Tang. Because, yeah, yes, we are innovators in this hip-hop mm-hmm. world. And like you said, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's art. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's art. Right. So, so art is definitely, it, it, it takes it takes time, dedication, like the sculpture mm-hmm. and all that. It, it's a masterpiece that within itself that, you know, that's what makes it valuable, not just us, but the whole, everything in the totality of it. For real. Absolutely. Mathematics. Absolutely. Capadonna, John Mook, Will Gibbons, thank you so much. Never enough time. Thank you so much for what you've meant to so many kids, youth coming up. I was there. I was bopping to it. Thank y'all so much. Continued success. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it, Rose. Thank you. Thank you for your time as well. All right. Yeah, thank you for having Keep us. Keep banging. Keep we banging. I got you. Keep we banging. <laughs> All right. That's who it is. Salute to you. Peace. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Grab my nut, get screwed. Ow! Here comes my Shaolin style. Truth be able to be why you to my crew with the. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.